So, let's say for a second that you're the Pope. <laughs> would, would you make any changes to... Well, Pope might be a bad example, but you know what I mean. <laughs> would you make any changes to the way things currently are for religious education? I guess... For me, I'm thinking especially the formative, younger years. But, yeah. If I have not been clear on that, I also agree that religious education is not great. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. So, uh, to clarify, yeah. So, uh, yeah, and I'm probably just articulating maybe a couple of sort of antecedent uh, mm -hmm. kind of parts of this. One would be the family matters more than anything you could possibly do in a parish. It, again, not for individuals, but if we're talking about... The, the group, the, the, the population served by that parish, it almost, it almost doesn't matter what's happening at the parish if there isn't family buy-in. The second thing would be that um, nominal Christianity, I think, is a very good thing and a very important thing. And kind of like uh, the church is sort of this, it's through the overflow of graces from the church that kind of saves society to some degree or, you know, kind of keeps this whole thing afloat. I think that that is true uh, to some degree with nominal Christianity, that you have this critical mass of that in society. And I think that that's important. So I guess I wanted to just kind of draw. And then maybe a third point just being that we have to remember that just kind of the way the kind of the numbers work half of Christians, I guess no matter where that mean point gets, half or median point, I guess, half of Christians are going to be less religious than that. If we acknowledge religiosity as a real dimension of someone's personality, changes with time and um, uh, kind of season of life and, and whatnot, acknowledging all of that, that, that probably is sometimes, I think, sometimes forgotten in these discussions that you're never going to just have above average religiosity Christians because then the average would have to move. You know what I mean? It's kind of a, okay. So I thought those were kind of three important just kind of thoughts. With that set though, I think that we would probably want to understand within a parish. So the reason I think you would have troubles doing it at a bishop level would be, which I think you kind of acknowledge, would be just sort of the subsidiarity issue. Um, and that it probably, you might have directives, formative directives, which I'm sure we do at a, at a uh, at a diocesanal level, um, you would probably at a parish or city level be making important decisions in terms of how that little, you know, that microcosm would work. Um, but so if, if we look at what the religious, a religious education director within a parish is trying to do, um, I don't think that it's bad that, and I could be wrong, and I, I've never, I, I didn't grow up Catholic, so this is, this is, you know, I'm def totally outsider, and I've never gone through it. I don't think that giving little kids, little kids, under fifth grade or whatever, or fourth grade or something, five minutes of catechesis sandwiched by 10 minutes, or tw whatever it is, 20 minutes or whatever, on either side of games and coloring that are just getting them used to the ideas and pictures and metaphors of the Bible. I really don't think, I don't think that that's time wasted. Um, as they get a little bit older, I don't know. Again, I think if you think in terms of the memorize the questions and the answers process of religious education, I don't like it, but I think there is benefit to it. Um, 
but I think you would have, now we're at a point where I don't think you would have parents making the kids go to that for the most part. So there, there needs to almost be a, there needs to be something more of a draw, I think, and that wasn't necessarily the case because the draw was, this is what you do. And, and that's gone now to some degree. So I don't think that you can go, I think that you need to include that in a little bit. I think you need to sell the kids on it a little bit. And now we're always going to be talking, essentially fighting an uphill battle, I think, because they are, if they're not getting it at the home, almost a waste anyway, but not quite. Um, and certainly not for given individuals, it wouldn't be a wasted effort. And then at the high school level, that's where I think it gets really, really tricky. Um, and I know some dioceses have gone to earlier confirmation. Um, you know, because you certainly don't need to com confirm in high school that that's, you know, that that's a, and first of all, that's kind of a weird Catholic thing we do anyway, but then certainly you can confirm down in fourth and fifth grade and stuff, and I, I know some dioceses do that. Um, and I wonder almost if they do that, because then the only kids that would be going to religious education would be kids that want to go to religious education. Do you know after, after that? And I do yeah, think yeah. that that is one of the things you have to consider is essentially RE retention after that point. I, I, really, I mean, I don't envy people who are having to make these decisions because you're fighting a losing battle. It, the system, or, you know, that, that process that we have, which I actually just, just talked to uh, Jesse at, at, uh, at St. Raph's about that, that is kind of a cultural artifact of this kind of an American thing. It's kind of an artifact of a time where this process worked and we just, that's just sort of the model we still use. I don't think anyone's thinking it's, this is the best way to do it. Um, and you're kind of in a bit of a bind because I, I, I guess I don't envy those positions because I don't know that there is a good answer. Um, but to me, in my mind, you are playing to that below the, the below the median group, not the above the median group, because the above the median group, and maybe it isn't, maybe I should say the first through third quarter, now, you know, whatever, whatever it is, but that fourth quarter, they're going to figure it out. That's going to be a part of their lives anyway, and they're not going to get that sated through once a week, an hour in a classroom anyway. So you really are, I think you're talking those first three quarters or that below the median group in terms of religiosity, and that is, I think that is a different play regardless. I don't know, what are your thoughts? I think it's really interesting because the more you, you're talking about this, how we need to get the below average half, the more it just keeps coming to my mind that that's exactly what Jesus did. Oh, sure. Sure, yeah. He didn't go after the Pharisees. Yeah. He went after the people, the lowlifes on the streets, and he called them. Mm -hmm. So, like, Aren't, what are, who are we to not do the same? Yeah, yeah that's very true. Yeah, Michael. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> I, I would say, I think that it kind of reminds me of um, something that always bothered me in young adult and campus ministry. And it's that everyone needs to be a theologian or an evangelist. Right. And that you can't just be somebody who's there to pray that that's not good enough, mm -hmm. you know? So I think it, there's something, I think that that's kind of like, kind of what you're talking about, but you're like on a bigger scale, like these people are just going to go to RE. That's, mm -hmm. that's what it needs to be yep. for them, you know? So 
I had never thought of it that way because I always looked at it and I thought, what are you, mm-hmm. what, what are you learning? Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, that's not necessarily the point. Right. <laughs> we, yeah. So that's interesting. Very interesting. Now, I do think that there's a, uh, I had talked to, I think we had talked about that, but um, about how I wanted to try to figure out how youth ministry kind of worked, and I was trying to familiarize myself with that. And one of the recurring things in that is about, well, we have this big youth ministry, got 150 kids going through, and whatever, but for whatever reason, the only six that are still Catholic are the six that were part of my discipleship team that I would invest hours in and pour you know, my heart and soul into. And it was it, essentially um, Jesus doesn't scale, right? So when we're being Jesus to other people, you only have so many of these personal contexts that you can have. And so I would think that maybe RE is a bit of a meat grinder, and that's okay. And for the people who want, and I don't know, I, I, obviously I have not thought about this, so I'm just kind of making stuff up. But then those for the group that is hungrier, for whatever reason, because that's the season of life they're in, or because that's the kind of person they are, or whatever it is, or they're just interested, or that's what their dad was interested, whatever it is. And then you'd have a discipleship model for that group rather than try to come up with another program for that group. That would, uh, you know, I mean, think, I think that could make sense. Yeah. That does, yeah, I was going to say, because disciple, the discipleship model, I could see that working on a small scale. Yeah, it has to be a small scale. Yep. Yeah, because yep. otherwise it just doesn't work. Right. And that is kind of, that's, I mean, that's kind of a buzzword at this mm-hmm. point, and that's why I've usually seen yeah. it fail is because they try to do it on a large scale. Right. It's like, that doesn't work. <laughs> right. It's not what it is. Right. <laughs> not only a large scale, but it's like forest. It's like, you're gonna, we're pairing you up with this person. Yeah. It's like, oh, that's, not I how, see. that's not how discipleship works. Right, right. Like, it comes naturally yep. in the Holy Spirit. Let the Holy Spirit work, not this person yep. above me tell me. Yeah, you know, and it's hard, too, because I think I think it takes a special person who sort of has that mix of personality and life experiences and whatnot. Because, and obviously... Um, Ego gets involved very easily, as, as we've talked about. You need to be careful about, as well-intentioned as people are, you need to be careful about uh, mixing sexes. So um, you should not have, in my opinion, close spiritual relationships with people of the opposite sex. It's just, it is just, it is an obvious recipe for stupidity. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think one of the challenges with kind of what we're talking about is you need kind of people that are, have kind of, have enough, have died to themselves enough where this isn't an ego thing, or at least that they're aware of it so that it isn't impeding, you know, what you're talking about. Um, and I think some of the discipleship stuff, and I could be wrong, but is, yeah, kind of the idea of, you know, how would you say that? Yeah, well, yeah, not authentic. And then, yeah, it's this inorganic kind of process. But then it is hard. How would you cultivate discipleship as a thing without it being some somewhat in, uh, inorganic or whatever. Yeah, so I, I don't know exactly what that means other than to say you need to be careful about who the person is that's trying to sort of lead the discipleship. You need to be careful about mixing genders. Um, you need to be careful about it becoming clicky, right? There's all of these kind of social downfalls that I think we've probably all seen in our, either in our own circles or, you know, had other things. There's just a ton of minefields there, but, or a ton of minds there, 
It's a bit of a minefield. Let's go with that. Um, but on the other hand, I don't think a smaller meat grinder <laughs> is the solution either. So, yeah. And I think something our culture has lost. I don't know when it lost it, but it seems like my whole life. Um, there's just not enough authentic friend groups of like like co-sexes so like b- both mm-hmm. sexes just a 10 yep. 10 people yep. just hanging out and loving each other and as friendship mm-hmm. like friendship should and it's authentic it's not utility or use it's like this is unconditional yeah like we would lay our lives down for each other yeah yeah so we i don't see that in our culture yeah. enough it's very rare. Yeah, I, yeah, I agree with that. And I think that kind of goes to a, a just a general brokenness in, um, hu- well, kind of humanity, but like more like human sexuality. Um, I don't think. I mean, you look at most people. Um, most people this day and age don't get married until their late twenties, yep. early thirties, yeah. and that's just that's just what it is. Yeah. But if if it takes that long to get to that point when that's often in when you were describing that what what came to my mind would be like like a bridge club that used to be a thing mm-hmm. but that would have been several married couples right. who would have been about yeah my age and now people my age aren't aren't married right. so that's just not a thing yeah. but but yeah so that's kind of my take on it is kind of kind of sounds weird but like marriage kind of fixes that problem not not completely because obviously that things can still get messed up if you do them wrong but but yeah that's kind of just my thought on that yeah no yeah i agree with that and that makes it even more interesting with what you were saying michael because people getting married later even though they date earlier yeah. So it's like there's this jump from we date and marry in our late teens, mm-hmm. like, I don't know, 50, 60 years ago, mm-hmm. to now we date, we have hookup culture, and then we get married and settle. And I think that there just needs to be a wait at the beginning, um, a waiting process of maturing and just loving you like there needs to be growth of you don't even need religion in it you you can just like you said john family life Mm -hmm. like if if the parents can teach the kids and like witness to the kids how to love Mm -hmm. um that that would fix many problems because then the the kids regardless if they agreed with their parents right would obey them because they know their parents want what's best for them right and then in hindsight they would probably see that yes it was best for me um because in my experience of dating in like high school it's it's like you aren't ready for i know this is not exactly what we were talking about but yeah um it's like Okay, well, if dating is something that you should be intending to 
get to marriage with, then what are you doing in high school when in our culture 90% of the time you're splitting off into like opposite sides of the country or at least your state to go to school? Yeah. Right, so right. What is yeah. this? Like, yeah. what is your actual intention? Are you putting this relationship first or are you going to put your schooling first? Mm. You have to choose one or the other. So why are you wasting your time dating in the first yeah. place? Like, you need to figure out yourself before you can yeah. take on someone else and be able to sacrifice for them like that. I think, and I could be wrong, but I think they're dating so that they can have sex, I think would be my guess. Oh. <laughs> Thanks for clarifying yeah, that, John. I, th I think, and I don't know. And as a podcaster, are you guys pro-hookup culture or anti-hookup culture? <laughs> okay. <laughs> Could you define hookup culture for me, John? Well, you use the term uh, adult human female. Is that? Sorry. <laughs> it's like it's the culture of casting so many so many hooks without any worms on them to oh. try to fish. Oh, nice! And it doesn't work the best. Got it. I got it. What our culture is trying to figure it out. Got it. <laughs> Uh, I do think that it's hard because I am a pro-young marriage person for a whole bunch of reasons. And I absolutely agree. <laughs> this is great news. <laughs> yeah, I was, yeah. <laughs> um, and I do think that it has a stabilizing influence. One of the challenges is if you have get married young and you have kids right away, that is an all-consuming vortex, you know, either until you have enough kids that they can start taking care of uh, each other or until they kind of, you get some years. So I don't know that that helps with, in terms of like a bridge club, but what it would help would be sort of expanding the network. If you have a group of, you know, all your pals also have kids that age, that really is like a huge benefit. And then it also, I think, softens and yeah we are wildly off topic here but that softens some of the shock of how hard being a parent is um, because mm -hmm. then you can see the you know your friends going through the, those same difficulties um, and then but also you can kind of absorb some of that from each other you know um, in terms of like the actual just the the um, the actual tasks you can you know <laughs> absorb some of the tasks from each other as well so I do think that those are all really um, good things, I would agree that there's a, seems to be at least a breakdown of sort of those social bonds um, where you know you do have a situation where people maybe don't um, I can't remember what the example was, but I, I will use I was talking to someone and I had basically um, I had given what I thought was a self-evident motivation something like well, you wouldn't do that because then your face wouldn't be on fire, something like that. And then I found myself in a situation in this analogy having to explain why we wouldn't want our face on fire. What is happening? That is kind of how I feel about some of these societal things that were just kind of, you know, um, you know, things like why would you invest in a friend group or why would you, you know, um, why would you go out to see a movie rather than watching it at home or whatever, you know, some of these simple things that are just, because that's what you need to do. You need that grist of reality. You need that grist of other people. You need that grist of humanity. Um, these 
I think used to be either not questioned or self-evident, and that seems to have been lost by convenience and the you know the kind of the disembodiment that I think that is sort of a cultural plague at this point in the West. Yeah, I'd agree with that. And that's what I think we should do with religious education. So, <laughs> so basically, what I got out of this, John, is you don't want to be. Poor. That is, yep, yep, that is, yep. And you want to use religious education as hook of <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> To establish whether or not you need worms to catch fish. Right, that right. is yes. that's the kind of hookup culture we're referring to. Um, so yeah, so did that? Did that? What did you guys have mapped out for that topic? Did we get to any of the things you had? It said religious education. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. This was wide open. So <laughs> this was great. Any practical? I mean, obviously, we haven't said anything practical mm. here. Um, did you guys have any practical thoughts? So when you're so you had kind of identified the goal was what getting to being friends friendship with god what what was kind of the goal of religious education in your mind uh i would have said well i don't i don't have any practical thoughts <laughs> just just, okay. just just for starting perfect i would have said uh to be to be a oh gosh this is going to be an ambiguous term that i need to define a well-formed catholic okay that's fair enough yeah and i think that that's fair and i think that what i would emphasize in well-formed Catholic, possibly, after we've discussed a little bit here, would be literally the shape of a Catholic, to have what the shape of a Catholic is, and that probably formation and discipleship would need to fill that in, but that having the shape for using that kind of term, the gestalt of Catholicism, is probably a good in itself. Probably not the best good, but it is still a good in itself. So you're saying you just need... You have the shape, but now you just need to complete the puzzle? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. yeah. Yeah. And that kind of comes down to like the it takes a village to raise a child kind of thing. Like you can't just ask the parish to run a class right. to make right. make my child a Catholic. It's like, well, it's kind of your job too. You right. <laughs> it's like, it's kind of mostly your job. Yeah. It's kind of so. So, yeah. That's interesting. Great. Awesome. Do you want to pray or do you want me to pray? I'll let you pray. I think you're good at public praying. I'm not. Thank you, John. <laughs> In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time together, this time of discussion. Uh, we ask you to bless all those who listen to this podcast. We ask you to bless John and his family. We ask you to bless everyone who works in RE to stay with them through their job however difficult it may be and i ask you to bless the students in re that you may use that program how you want to use it we ask all these things in your precious and holy name amen in the father and son and the holy spirit from life cheers and john to you god bless Boom. <laughs>